Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I got to tell you, I am so excited to have the guest on that I have today. My guest is a renowned producer, songwriter, musician. He has obtained global acclaim for founding multiple bands and heading multiple events around the world. He's graced the stages of the Montreux Jazz Festival, the Banaru Music Festival. He's been at the Arts Festival, the High Sierra Festival, the South by Southwest, the New Orleans Jazz Festival, and I'm telling you, and he's now just started pursuing another passion, which is cannabis. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so pleased to have on our podcast, Let's Be Blown My Tone, Mr. Salvador Santana. Thank you so much for being here with us today, sir. It's an honor. Thank you for having me. Man, my honor. I'm going to tell you, I'll jump right out at it and tell you, it's really kind of crazy. But I found out that you were willing to come on. First off, to talk about cannabis was something very near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, I literally just flipped because I've never had an opportunity to even talk about this to a lot of people, but it was about 10 years ago. It may have been 11, but I think 10 years ago, uh, I was at the Hard Rock Cafe or Hard Rock Casino and uh, Resort in Las Vegas. And I was up in my room and then I just come down and I was literally walking through the lobby. It was really kind of crazy. And all of a sudden the alarms go off. And I got like five security people come running and grab me. Montel, Montel, no, you gotta, uh, we can't get you. You got to go. You got to go here. And I said, there's a fire. And I was like, a fire? Are you kidding me? Are you, is it a real fire? He said, well, we think somebody pulled an alarm, but let's go. So he come running me down this hallway. And I found out later that there was a real fire in one of the kitchens. But they run me down this long hallway, past the ballroom, past another ballroom, open up the door, push me in. So you, have to, you can stay in here. So you can stay in the air conditioner. We're putting everybody else in the parking lot. And I turned around. And sitting over at a table was your dad, Carlos. And I was like, are you kidding me? Now, I tell you, as crazy as it's going to sound, I felt lucky that I was in part of a fire because I was going to get a chill out with your dad. And we ended up spending about 45 minutes to an hour just chilling and talking. He was performing that night um, at the brand new when they had just redone their, their little stage area. And I, I literally, it's probably one of the best memories of my life in Las Vegas was the time we, we spent. And we, we got a chance to talk about some deep and, and, and moving issues. That's, that's really cool. I guess everything happens for a reason. Uh, I'm glad that, that everyone, you know, everything was okay. Everyone, no one got hurt. And uh, yeah, now we're about to have a 45 minute conversation ourselves. It, it comes full circle. So what a trip. <laughs> <laughs> what a trip, man. And I, and, you know, I think I may as well say it to you. I was just not just impressed, but I was so thoroughly moved by how down to earth your dad is as a person, as a human being. We were talking about just issues of life. We weren't really talking about his career, my career, just, just talking about life. And he literally shared some things that was really profound and it stayed with me. That's awesome. I've heard he has a reputation to do that. So that's that's nice to hear he's consistent. <laughs> there you go, man. He is definitely consistent. And, you know, I mean, coming from a long lineage of talented artists, I mean, your father, Carlos Santana, you know, is one thing, but you, you really literally found some of your original musical roots from your grandparents. Is that not right? That is 100% correct, Montel. Uh, both of my grandparents, uh, on my mother's side, Mr. Saunders King, is a renowned blues musician, guitarist, um, inspired many greats like B.B. King and Albert King, um, you know, part Creole. So he came from Louisiana, met my grandmother in um, 
in, in San Francisco, ended up settling. And then, you know, my mom was here and then I, then I, then I'm here. I became here. <laughs> I was born. Uh, and then my other grandfather, uh, on my dad's side, Don Jose Santana was, uh, incredible, uh, renowned, um, mariachi violinist and musician. Um, and that's a lot of where my dad got his influence as well. He was first of all, a fan musically of my other grandfather, Saunders King, uh, Everyone says, you know, my dad plays Latin rock or this and this and that. Uh, him and I both, we, we've gone on record and say, us as musicians, we just play life. You know, we play the, the music that inspires all of us that has been throughout our lives. Um, we, can we can call them genres and we can pigeonhole them and what have you. But at the end of the day, if it gives you goosebumps and it makes the hair on the, neck, on your, on the back of your neck stand up, if it gives you a vibe and it, it, it moves you, then that's the music we want to be a part of. And my grandparents, definitely, both my grandfathers, I feel like they embodied that. Um, and, and my father, a lot of people don't realize my father's first instrument was a violin, you know, before a guitar. And he was actually trying to play, not trying, he was playing in my grandfather's uh, mariachi band. So that's how my, that's how my dad pretty much, uh, pretty much got the whole understanding of what it's like to, to be on stage and to perform in front of people. And he, he wanted so much to be like his father, you know, my dad, um, he just saw how people responded to, uh, I call him Abuelito, uh, how they responded to him and when he plays on stage and how he could just, just, he just embodied charisma, you know, and same thing with my other grandfather, he embodied conviction. Um, and I just feel like I get all the, well, I get all my, my, my looks and my um, business sense and just all my smarts from the amazing and awesome women in my family. But I think I get the charisma and the musical side and most of those talents uh, come from my grandfather's and um, the musician side of the family. So yeah, it runs deep. It's pretty it cool. Runs really deep. I mean, you know, they, they were both primarily string instrument people, though, correct? String and yeah. yes, and self-taught. My grandfather uh, on my on my mom's side, Saunders King, he grew up in the church. You know, Pentecostal. In fact, he I think him and uh, not I think I know he and a couple of my other relatives were one of the first to build a. Um, uh, Pentecostal church in Oakland, California. Um, so, so that's been instilled in us, not necessarily from a religious standpoint, but just, you know, putting in, not even just putting in the work, it's being of service to the community, um, sure. and sharing and sharing that, um, especially a community of black and Brown where we're consistently, uh, in a society and, and what have you that consistently puts us down or challenges us so that we can move forward and find the goodness and the great that that is just in our everyday lives. Um, but I just see it in my, in my, both my grandfathers that they just, they would not allow any oppression or of anything get the best of them. And I think that's why they had um, not even just amazing careers. I think that's why you still hear their names. People still come up to my dad and be like, Oh, Carlos, you're great. Blah, blah, blah. This stuff. Your, your father is just amazing. Like, it's just incredible, you know? And, and people even still come up to me and be like, your grandfather, I saw him perform way back. So-and-so with Billy holiday. I saw your other grandfather perform over at uh, La Cantina over in Mill Valley, California. And so I just, I get goosebumps just talking about it. It just reminds me that, like you said, Montel, it runs deep. It, it's in the family. It's in the blood. And all I can do is just is just be the absolute best of who I am uh, and who I'm about and, and what I'm about. You know, it's very interesting when you say that uh, your grandfather started the, was part of the founding of a Pentecostal church. 
music is so important in a Pentecostal church. And so I'm sure that that's yes. what honed a lot of the spirit of his music, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that was an outlet for him, Montel, because, um, you know, he, he was growing up in a time where uh, segregation was, was, was rampant. And I, uh, I can't remember if it was Texas or Tennessee. He was about to do a show uh, with his big band and the, uh, the club owner or the promoter put a rope right down the middle of the stage or excuse me, right down the middle of the dance floor saying this is for whites. This is for, for colors. And, and my grandfather was like, no, nah, unless you take that rope off, I, I'm not playing, you know, for multiple reasons. Number one, it's a rope. <laughs> Number two, it's you're, it's condoning more separation um, and, and segregation. And for me, I'm just not about that. I'm in my family. We are musicians, we're uh, producers, we're entrepreneurs. I just recently be, became a father, so that's pretty amazing. Uh, but we all, for, for our family and people that are considered our family and our loved ones, we're, an ad, we're advocates of equality. You know, that's, that's who we are and that's what we're about. And however we can share our platforms and use our specialties, it comes down to that. That is the main, that is the main focus, continuing to advocate for equality. And I, you know, I hate to use the term like crossover or or multi-genre. I mean, like you said, I think your music is more world music, man. I mean, it just embodies, you know, the flavors, you know, like, uh, you know, people, people look at America claiming that America is a melting pot. I've never thought America is a melting pot. I thought, always thought America's, you know, greatest asset is it's like a stew, man. You know, when you eat a stew, you don't eat one flavor. You know, you get a little meat, you get a couple of carrots, you get a little potato, you get a little this, a little that, a little this, a little that, and all those flavors are just exploding in your mouth. Well, it's the same thing when you listen to your music, when you listen to your dad's music. Thank you. So in some ways you could say, well, it's got a little Latin flair, but yeah, whatever. It's got a little soul flair, yeah, whatever. It's got a little jazz flair, yeah, whatever. It's all those flavors explode in your brain, and that's what really draws you into your dad. And also draws you into that. I appreciate that. Your musical career. Let's go back to when did you get the vibe? I mean, you know, music around you all the time. You had to be dancing when you were, you know, under one. But when did you <laughs> this is something I was going to do? Uh, you know, I think it was just it's just been instilled. It's just been instilled in me from, from since day one. Uh, just like we were talking about a second ago. It's in my family. It's in the blood. It's in the bloodline. It's in the genealogy. I mean, my my son now, he's about to be two and he's. He's doing what I was doing when I was a kid. He's just tapping and tapping on things and he taps on me and he's a little drummer boy. Like it's just, the rhythm is in us. I think John Lee Hooker said the rhythm is in you and it's got to come out. And that's, that's, that's who we are. We got to express it in some way, shape or form. And for me, I can remember as, as early as, as my, my son's age now, when I was two, my, my dad, he would put on for me <laughs> on beta, old school beta, beta max. He would put on Baba Olatunji and the drums of passion live at the cow palace uh 1985 going into 1986 uh bill that was a bill graham uh production uh and show and my pops had the he had the tape of that and so he, that was my babysitter he just put that show he just put that thing on for me and if you everybody that's listening and for yourself montel go and check it out when you can it's it still holds up it's still maybe not the graphics but the music and the energy uh, it still holds up. And now my, I play it for my son and he loves it. Like he'll be, you know, it's, it's past his nap time or what have you. He's, he's tripping out. I just put all the tunes on for, and I never put the screen time and stuff on for the kids. It's usually music. I read to him. I talk to them. I 
try to be more interactive and not just throw an iPad in front of them. But every once in a while, you got to throw the, every once in a while you get punched in the mouth, like Tyson says, and, you, and the plan goes out the window. So, so I just throw on the, all the tunes, and he just locked, like deadlocked, just watching it with the dancers, all the tunes, banging on the drums, getting all the band members to come with him. And it's all about, uh, and it's all about the celebration of life for him. You know, the creator, nothing, nothing religious, nothing culty, nothing like, our belief system is better. We're, it's it's not about condoning supremacy of any kind. It's about honoring, uh, and that's why I want to make sure that that I instill in my son because that's that's what was instilled in me musically and and culturally and just from a life standpoint. Now you got to perform, you know, and play a little bit of music with your dad and, and goofing around. But when did it become the formal thing? Was was out of high school? You grew up in the Bay Area, right? I did. Yes. Okay. All over, all over the Bay Area. Um, yeah. And you went to college for, after you graduated from high school, you went to college for music? I did. I continued my, I, I, so I went to San Francisco School of the Arts, now called Ruth Asawa uh, of the Arts uh, in San Francisco, California. Um, and then eventually, once I graduated, I made my way down to Los Angeles and attended California Institute of the Arts, where I continued my studies for music um, and both experiences were amazing. Uh, growing up in the Bay Area, specifically in Marin County, which is uh, right above the Golden Gate Bridge, man, it is beautiful. It is a beautiful place to grow up. It's a beautiful place to just live. You can hang out with people in town and then literally walk down the street and go on a, a crazy hike and then you're over the mountain, you're in the ocean kind of thing. It's, it's incredible. Um, but for me, I just got tired of the mentality and the lack of diversity up there. I just needed more flavor and both of my family both sides of my families lived in San Francisco, still do, live in San Francisco and in Oakland. Whenever I would go to the city or the town, my whole, like, like everything, it's just like you were just talking about, it's like I just ate a gumbo stew, with just everything singing on the inside. It was all the flavor, all the, it's just what I needed. Uh, and so I made a choice to not continue to go to school in Marin and get past all that and, and really focus in on, on arts and studying music for real. Um, but like you said, even though it may have been that, that, was more of a defining point it's i still feel like for me it was it's it's it was like it was planned for me even before i was a thought you know it was something that i was meant to it was meant to do i was meant to be here to exp I'm, I'm just an instrument of of the creator's energy and it's my job to uh take that energy with my with my uh instrument and with my capabilities and to express that because at the end of the day like my angelou said oh sorry to no go on, keep going keep going no my uh, like Maya Angelou said, uh, people aren't going to remember you by what you said and even by what you did. It's about how you make them feel. And I never lost sight of that. And I've always wanted to make sure that that was integrated in everything I do say, because my job from as a musician, too, is to move somebody, touch, touch somebody's heart, uh, inspire them, you know, just uh, let them know that that in some way. Music, what better way to honor somebody than through art and especially through music? Absolutely. You know, your primary instrument has been the keyboards, right? Man, you're you're like you're like 10 for 10 so far. You're getting all the things correct. You did your homework, man. Yeah, keyboards is, is my main gig. Although drums was my first instrument because of all the tunes in my ever, Did you ever want to try to play the guitar? I did. I did. And I still noodle around um, on the guitar, not electric so much, more acoustic. I love I love classical guitar. I love, you know, Spanish flamenco. I, I love that. I just I just 
something about it. It's, it's, it's just so beautiful. Um, so I love that. Um, but now I think just because, uh, I feel like if anybody wants to be a musician on any level, having some basic keyboard knowledge and some basic vocal, vocal, uh, singing, you know, abilities, I think is even for a drummer, even for somebody that doesn't mess with chords, tone, pitch, or anything like that. I think, I think it's still very important. A keyboard for me is is amazing because it's like an orchestra. My, my teacher told me, Fred Harris told me way back in the day, he said, um, uh, the keyboard, the piano is like an orchestra at your fingertips. You got the basses down here, you got the cellos, you got your violas, you got your violins, you got everything in between. It's all right here. Um, so for me, I just, rather than looking at stuff, I guess, uh, not vertically, horizontally, uh, I don't know what the word is. Inwardly, I guess I'm looking at it now outwardly. And it's all just right in front of me at my, um, for, for me to just, you know, explore and have fun with. So it's it's just been, it's been a perfect fit since day one. So drums was like a two, guitar was maybe at like four or five. And then piano was just right after that, six or seven. And I just haven't, haven't looked back since. Haven't looked back since. And that, that also helps you hone all of your skills, not just your musical playing skills, but also your writing skills, right? You 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 do do you write lyrics or do you, I know you're a big fan of poetry. So do you try to yes. do lyrics? Oh, you do? I do. I write lyrics. I I it that one lyrics for me, I, I'm I'm so and en not envious, but I, I just really want to strive to be that where just it's just like a for an MC or a poet or even a lyricist, somebody that just it just comes out you know, so freely. Uh, for me, I wouldn't say I have to force it, but it's definitely not as natural as just me sitting down at the piano. Um, however, being up in the Bay Area, I got I got exposed to, um, you know, and also in the late 80s and early 90s as hip hop was coming out, mm -hmm. uh, especially in the Bay Area, man, like I was listening to, to, to Tupac, I was listening to um, Most Def, Talib Kweli, mm -hmm. I was listening to uh, Common, um, Souls of Mischief uh, up in the Bay Area. And so something is there's a difference between just word playing and just being cute and clever and creative with your words, as opposed to actually saying something, you know. Um, and for me, Pac didn't say everything that I that I necessarily agree with, but it's more of how he said it, which I which I just I just I just love. Like he's probably my favorite lyricist um, of all time because of everything he was able to. He, he's like he's like a jack of all trades. You can you can fit him in any any piece. Uh, any type of song, any type of, it's like a universal, it's like a skeleton key. He just works. And for me, he was my biggest inspiration for the lyrics. Herbie Hancock is probably my biggest inspiration for the keyboards musically. Yeah. How about you? Now, your mom was a big inspiration too, also for you, for your lyrics, right? For words? Uh, absolutely. My mom is uh, an amazing woman, uh, writer, poet, author, um, and really the one that held it down, you know, because when Pops was on tour, you know, gosh, three to six weeks at a time. And as a kid, that's, that's a long time, man. You know, even though we got to travel with him at times and it was great. It was really cool, you know, growing up. And I, I remember, I, I just remember a lot of uh, really cool, awesome memories. Like you were saying, having the opportunity to go backstage and chop it up with my pops. For me, that was just an everyday thing, going backstage, seeing what life was like behind the scenes and what have you. Um, and also getting a really good understanding of what the business was like, even at a young age. Yeah, I was still playing dinosaurs and GI Joes and stuff, but I'm also being very observant with how the business works, how you treat people, what you say, what you do, what the rules are with this venue as well as this other venue. 
So just trying to stay mindful of all these things. But my mother, she always kept me, um, she always kept me focused on what she knew made me, you know, full inside, which was just being around family, uh, loved ones, and spending time with music um, as, as much as I possibly could. I know there probably is impossible for you probably to pick one, but if you had to, to pick one moment that stands out in your memories of traveling around with your pops when you were young, what would that one memory be? One concert, one performance, one, what would that memory be? I'll put you right on the um, Man, there are so many, so, so, so many. Uh, it's, I'll just share it because I think it's actually a funny story. Um, and my pops actually didn't tell me this until, until years later because I didn't remember it. So we're on the, um, I want to say it's 1994, so I'm about like nine or 10 years old. I'm on the back of the bus. Um, either my dad is just about to go do a show or he just got done and then the next act was about to go on. Either way, we're in the, I'm, I'm in the back of the bus. Dad is with me. Uh, he goes into the front. Somebody tells him, hey, you know, they got a guest in the front, you know. So he goes in the front. He goes, checks it out. Next thing I know, the back of the bus door opens and it's my father with Mr. Bob Dylan. And so they're both hanging out right there. And my dad's like, Salvador, I want you to you know, put the video games down, put the candies up, whatever you're doing, put that down. I want you to meet somebody who's very, very important. You love Jimi Hendrix? You know, the All Along the Watchtower? I'm like, yeah, it's one of my favorite songs. He's like, this is the gentleman that wrote the song. He wrote the lyrics. He actually, the founder of the song, Jimmy covered it. And I was like, oh, cool. And I shook his hand and I was, you know, I was respectful. And but in my head, I'm just kind of like, who, who is this dude kind of thing? <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm too young, you know? So, but, but in my head, I'm just, you know, that's in my head out loud. I'm just like, hey, nice to meet you. Really cool. And my dad's like, yeah, you know, this, this, and he goes on. And I'm like, oh, cool. And I just look at him as dead in the eye. This, this is according to my dad. I do not remember this. My dad goes, or I, according to him, I say, oh, that's cool. Nice to meet you, Mr. Dylan. I never heard of you. Oh. <laughs> and my dad was kind of like, oh, you know, like he had this look of like, oh, my bad. And, but Bob, as cool as he is, man, and, and was at that moment. He didn't even trip at all. In fact, he loved it that a younger that the younger generation had never even heard of him. In fact, in some weird way, and and I and I that to me was inspiring. I guess why I'm sharing that to you is because if somebody of his upper echelon of establishment and musicians and just you know in our culture and just everything artistically everything, he didn't have to do all that. But he, dude did not have an ego at all. Some people were like, you never heard of me. Are you you how you've never heard of me? And as opposed, he was just like laughing he looked at my dad which is like this kid's cool you know kind of thing so that always stuck with me because that's just kind of who i am i don't really treat anybody different based off of their status and in you know it's not a popularity contest i'm just going to treat people how they treat me that's just how i grew up you know absolutely and so i guess you know one of your got to be one of your greatest memories of all time is winning a grammy at age 16 why don't you talk a little bit about that <laughs> that was a trip uh because I, I just did not expect that. Number one, the song that ended up winning the Grammy, my father and I, we wrote that song for my grandfather, who at that time we were writing it. We wrote it on November 1st, 1997. Uh, and that was as we were writing it in the living room, my dad, he came, he came up to me and says, hey, I got this melody. I need you to help me fish out these chords. And I'm like, no problem. So we started the melody, found chord one, found chord two, somewhere somewhere in the middle of almost completing that first section of the song, we get a phone call and they let us know that, uh, Abuelito had just passed away as mm -hmm. we were writing the song. So at that moment, we didn't know that the song was going to be for him. We were just, you know, we, we handled what we handled. Um, 
And then we came back and we finished the song. And my dad and I, we ended up performing it at uh, his service, you know. And so this was two, three years prior to the song eventually finding a home on Supernatural, being the only instrumental, meaning no lyrics, no nobody singing, no nothing. Uh, so then it winning, being nominated for Best Instrumental, to then winning a Grammy for Best Instrumental. Uh, so the Grammy is, is incredible. And even at age 16, that's, that's all amazing. I think for me, the biggest honor was being able to accomplish all that in, in writing a song in honor of my grandfather. That's, I think that's really the coolest thing for me. That's probably why the Grammy was so, it came about. I mean, I think probably, you know, he's probably looking down on you and, and then that was his way of saying thank you. Just want to make him proud, man. Just want to make him proud. Well, you know, that's been done. So now what, what are you working on musically right now? What are you got any pro projects going on right this minute when it comes to music? Yes, thank you for asking. I have a few projects actually going right now. Um, like I said, being a musician, a producer, entrepreneur, and now a father, it's, I'm having a lot of fun and it's challenging, but having a lot of fun juggling all these things at once. I, I have uh, I actually have a project that came out well, last year, I guess now, but to me, it's still recent because ever since the shutdown and everything, I just, it, it's just been from December of 2019 to wherever we're, wherever we're going to be <laughs> once all this is over, because eventually it will be over. Um, but I came out with a project uh, myself and my good, good, super, super homie, good friend of mine, basically mi hermano, um, Asdru Sierra, the lead singer of Osomati. We've known each other for a long time and we've been wanting to collaborate for, for quite some time. Finally, the stars aligned, the timing of it worked out. And we were able to get together, work on a collection of music, narrow it down to our favorites, uh, and we came up with the, <laughs> we came up with a, a band title uh, called the Remixicans um, because he's Chicano, I'm Chicano, we're both Mexicano, and uh, we take the music again that inspires us, but we flip it so that it's current uh, and that it can it can sustain and find it and soar uh, in today's in today's world in today's market. So we got that project. That's out. You can check it out. Uh, Remixicans, Remixicans, um, Remixicans.com, uh, at the Remixicans. And then you can also check out, uh, I think, I believe it's still on Apple and, and iTunes uh, and Spotify as well. So you can check that out. I had a lot of fun with that one. Um, I got a few other things that I'm cooking up right now. A few solo projects, um, or excuse me, a few, a solo project as well as a scoring project. Uh, project that I'm doing as well, like you said, composition and doing a lot of writing, not just lyrics, but also um, musically, you know, I haven't been able to uh, do the one thing that I really, really love to do, which is go on stage and perform in front of people and quite some time. So rather than getting upset about it and, and, you know, bitching and moaning, I guess, I'm just like, you know what, I'm not going to get mad. I'm just going to find a way to make it work. And I'm grateful that I've was able to carve out a space in our in my home to designate it as a home studio. So now I can uh, I can work from home and 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 um, still still be dad, still be at home. Because um, that was the one thing too, Montel, that I really wanted to make sure that I had an opportunity to go on the road when I can, but not always feel like I have to go on the road. Because I saw my father go on the road for so so many, like I said, weeks and weeks at a time. Um, and uh, he even told me he's like, man, you know, I. You're so fortunate, son, that you get to be at home with, with your son and watch him grow up. He's like, I didn't, I didn't really have that. I had to work. I had to work, you know, to make sure you guys were good. I had to go on tour for long periods of time. So really, he just reminded me to, and my mom too. All my family reminds me to just really cherish these moments and to not allow uh, somebody else's narrative to rearrange mine and my thought process and what have you. So um, all that said, it's 
challenging, but like I said, man, working on a lot of things, scoring project, couple of movies, couple of commercials I'm doing. Last but not least, um, I got, like I said, entrepreneur. I'm now venturing into the cannabis world. Um, well, before and, we get that, yeah. before we go there, I'm going to take a little break. I got to pay a couple of bills. I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about your new venture in the cannabis space. But here, I got one last question for you before I do take the break. Yes, sir. You had to pick one song, one song that's your favorite song by your dad. Mm. Wow. Uh, you know what? I would say Victory is One. It's an mm. instrumental that he wrote uh, along with Chester Thompson. And uh, in short, it's about uh, the uh, when apartheid was done, when it was abolished. And that last moment when Desmond Tutu had a, um, a colonizer literally putting his knee on dude's neck and was just like, and Desmond Tutu, rather than getting upset or anything, he just looked and said, you, you've already lost. Join us. Our victory is won. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the song came, the melody and everything. So I'd say that one just because every time I hear it, I consistently get goosebumps from start to finish. Other songs, I get goosebumps here and there and at different times. But that one from beginning to end. It's always there. there I love go. the message too. There you go. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing that. Look, I right, take a look. Thank you. And we're talking to Mr. Salvador Santana. When we come back, he's going to tell us about his new venture, and that is in the cannabis space, which is a new entrepreneurial venture, but not necessarily new to his life. We'll take a little break right <laughs> after this. Well, hey, guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today has been amazing so far with us sharing a lot about his history and a lot about his life. Mr. Salvador Santana, you know, son of acclaimed artist and, and, and unbelievable, I think probably the best guitarist of all time, Mr. Carlos Santana. But he has spun out his own direction in life. And really, he's now a producer, a songwriter, a musician. He's a... Uh, found in multiple bands. He's performed on stages like the Montreux Jazz Festival and Arts Festival and the High Sierra Festival. He's out performing now. Well, right now during COVID, he's chilling out a little bit, but working on a lot of projects. And one of them yeah. he's working on is a new venture, and that's a venture in the cannabis space. So again, thank you so much, Salvatore, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thank you, Montel, for having me. Honored and grateful to be here. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this new venture? Wait, you know, I want to hear about it, but now I got to back you up again and say, talk to me a little bit about your introduction to cannabis to begin with. Sure, absolutely. So my introduction to cannabis, it's really simple. Growing up in the Bay Area, as you can see with the jerseys behind me and everything, um, you know, cannabis is, especially here in California and let alone the Bay Area, it's like it's like wine when you go over to Italy and Greece. It's just it's there. It's part of the culture. And, you know, I'm not condoning anything, but I've I've heard of like kids at the family dinner table taking just little squigs of wine here and there. It's not bad. It is what it is, because it's all about the. For me, I had a great upbringing in terms of don't do drugs. Yeah, drugs are bad, especially in the 80s and the 90s, the whole, you know, dare and all that stuff. But for me, I've I had a great um upbringing in terms of how cannabis is is perceived because i it was never uh introduced to me as like equal to heroin or anything like that it was it was like this it's medicinal it's for adults you know it's it's to be respected and to be used in moderation and also for creativity especially again since i was surrounded by you know musicians and creative artists so 
it was always there. Um, in fact, at one point I confused it for incense. I literally just thought it was just incense because <laughs> every show I went to, I always smelled it. So I'm like, oh, someone's burning some incense. Like, it smells good, <laughs> you know, as a kid, I just didn't. So for me, I always had a great, um, you know, just a positive outlook, I guess, on it. Um, and then as I got older, uh, I started to, you know, just really see how the plant is more medicinal, the benefits. But then I also saw how, you know, from a society standpoint, how, uh, especially in the black and brown communities, how it's like, you know, uh, it's it's there, it's, it's um, prominent. However, at the same time, if you get caught with it, that's, you know, you're in prison or it, it'll, it'll ruin your life in some way, shape or form. And I, at a certain point I started catching on to, well, why does that apply to these communities over here, but not these cats over here? That doesn't make sense to me, you know? And after a while I kept asking myself that question over and over and over. Once it got legalized here in California in 2016, I was like, oh, cool. Now, now we're going to see, you know, not overnight, but now we're going to start seeing a change. And I really, honestly, Montel, I haven't really seen too much of a change in that regard. Um, and I told myself. I'll tell you, stop here for a quick second. Was like, what we like to do is make sure we give out a lot of information while we're doing less rebunk. But you are absolutely right. I mean, even though it legalized in California, it didn't change the dynamic for black and brown people. As a matter of fact, last year, there were more black and brown people arrested for cannabis than had been arrested in the year before, which is really absolutely ignorant. And it shows you that, you know, there is one segment of society who still likes to look at cannabis as an opportunity, as an enslavement tool for people who yes. are. It's a way to make sure that they can have something to, to, to lay on you to make sure they give you a little extra time in prison. and. Um, Unfortunately, you know, uh, it, it's a sad commentary over the fact that, you know, since the beginning of its prohibition, 80% of the people who've been arrested for it have been people of color. People don't understand. Even the people who have been sitting, spending time in jail have been people of color. So yes. some might say that that has to do more with the, the, the fact that we don't have the finances to hire the right lawyers. I say no, bullshit. It has to do with the fact that it's planned out that way. And yes. I'm happy that, you know, now, especially people like yourself in, in really good, prominent positions are able to venture into the business of cannabis because that's what we are so lacking right now. You know, here's a business that was born on the backs of people of color, and now people of color are basically being pushed out from the business standpoint. So I'm glad to see you jumping in. Thank you for saying that. And in you basically articulate exactly what I was going to say. You, although you articulated a lot better, I would have gone super emotional with it. You you held it super together with the composure. But you're so right. And and to me, Montel, that that again a bit, uh, really defines that motivation for me. I was like, man, if I feel this ticked off about this, seeing friends of mine and and brothers and sisters that are so smart and amazing and just not getting treated fairly, especially in an industry that was built by a community, not corporate. It was built by the community with social equity and community. It just, like you said, it just never made sense to me to the point where it ticked me off. And I said, you know what, if I feel this ticked off, I can only imagine how somebody who actually has experienced that in some way, shape or form, I can only imagine. So I said, if I ever was to get involved in the cannabis industry, it's not just going to be about making money. Of course, sustainability is, is, is a prerogative. It's a, it's a necessity, especially in capitalism and what have you. I get all that. But from, but for me, it's bigger than that. It's about rearranging the narrative so that black and brown have the right to be a part of the success of this cannabis industry. Um, and all the while, like you said, during 
at a time when it's a green rush right now. If anything, <laughs> if there's one thing that could probably bail out <laughs> our country, let alone the world, man, you combine Disney with like Amazon with the green rush that's happening, dude, we got, we'd be good, man. We'll be good. But a lot of people don't want to see it that way. Um, but for me, I, I, I do see it that way. And I see a lot of potential and, and I don't just talk about it. I walk it too. um, Baya, which is the company that I founded, um, co-founded with a group of people myself. Um, but it's really just spearheaded by, like I said, that feeling in my heart and in my soul to want to give back, be of service to the community and impact it so we can rearrange the narrative, especially for those that have been treated unfairly, specifically black and brown. Um, we are diversity at the core. Uh, our company, basically, it's we were founded with the intention to focus on undeserved demographics with premium cannabis that they deserve. So it's not far out of their reach. And we refer to celebrating cultures from all over the world, past and present, um, to aligning ourselves with partners that are black and brown or part of the community and even the consumers that we are going to target and we want to speak to. It's about the celebration of who we are as human beings and not just this or just that or what have you and creating condoning more separation and distance we're trying to align and combine um focus on human development through grounding and healing uplifting qualities uh, with this ancient and sacred plant um and that it's medicinal and it's not like i said equal to heroin um and it's all about just taking the time to educate just really just taking the time to educate like i said with my son i'm like hey we're not going to do this because real quick short and concise you know, um, for me, I'm just that type of person. <laughs> I'm going to be get real deep into this one now. My my mom would always mess with me. She, and same with my wife. They're always like, you're the type of person where you just want to know three things. Where are you going? What time are you coming home? And what are we having for dinner? <laughs> it's, just, it's just basically that. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not that, I'm not that complicated. I'm real simple. But for me, I try to do that same approach with the cannabis thing. It's just like, yo, this is what you need to know. This is what we're about. And this is what we're doing. And this, is where, and this is how we're going to get there, you know? Um, and also too, last but not least, Montel, I, I'm just so grateful to be able to be in this position and have this opportunity to honor my Afro Latino Latinx heritage um, and, to and to continue doing so uh, by being of service to the community through VIA. And, and VIA, let's talk about it. Is it a full service cannabis company, but fully vertical? You're, you're, you're dealing with they grow yourself. You're dealing with extraction yourself. You're dealing with formulations yourself. You're dealing with a branded product. Let's explain that a little bit. Talk a little bit about that. Sure, absolutely. So, And also, you're, you're in California right now. You're going to be in multiple states. You're in California, though, right now to start, right? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. No, that's okay. Yeah, so right now we are strictly staying in state uh, because of the laws and certain things. Uh, uh, I'm treating this as a um, A plus, not a trial, but I really just want to go full on and see how things do. We don't right now have any data or any numbers to go off of. We just have a lot of passion and a lot of willingness and a lot of people that are ready to roll up their sleeves and get get it going and get it started. Um, and and like I said, we embody the not only the culture, but just diversity. We are diversity at our core. And that is also, again, with the people that we align with. Um, right before the shutdown uh, in late February, early March, I was up in the Bay Area actually filming a documentary on me becoming uh, active in the cannabis world and me starting to be a, 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 a company, you know, or to, to found a company in the cannabis industry. 
So there was a documentary that we were filming right before the shutdown. And one of the people that we were interviewing happens to be a cat by the name of Deji Simmons, who is also Afro-Latino. He's Cuban. Uh, he's also a Yoruba, a Yoruba priest, a priest as well, out of Oakland, California. Um, he's a cultivator. And we were able to just talk, you know, on camera, like kind of like how you and I right now, we were talking through the documentary. And then once the cameras went off, we, we went behind the scenes and we're talking. Next thing we know, we're talking about doing a what's called a white label deal where somebody's got their uh, product and then I just come in. Somebody else comes in with a brand, you know, so somebody's got the ingredients for Coca-Cola and then somebody else comes in with the label and with the bottle. And so that's where we come in. We come in with the brand with Vaya. Deji uh, has the product. Um, but again, it just everything that happened, Montel, it was all organic and natural and nothing was forced. Uh, and I think that for me are, has been the telltale signs for me from a businessman. If, it, if it's like that, investigate or invest in it. At least it's worth it. You know, if it does, if it's forced or if it just doesn't feel right, it's not personal, man. But just, you know, don't waste any time on it. We got a lot of other things that are happening that are way too exciting for us to focus on that is not a guarantee excitement, you know. So um, we got the cultivator, we got Deji, and he's just, he's just incredible. He's awesome. He, like I said, Afro-Latino himself. Um, and out of Oakland, California. Um, I still have my Bay Area roots, but I'm down in Los Angeles. Uh, I've been down here for the last, wow, almost 20 years now I've been down here. Um, but I'm still Bay Area. I'm still a Cali boy, you know, forever. Um, but yeah, so we're, st we're sticking here. We have four uh, flavors that we're offering uh, in, in um, eco-friendly packaging as well. Everything we do is, is with purpose, products with purpose. And again, celebrating ritualistic, not anything called uh, culty or anything like that, but just ancient rit ritualistic practices, honoring whether it be the creator for life, whether it just be for this moment, whether it be you just want to sit down and just have a relax. Just, some people like to make coffee in the morning. That's their ritual before the kids get up and what have you. It's, we're all just about celebrating what is your ritual. And you do that through through Vaya. Um, Vaya itself is a word that means in Spanish, like, wow, like, let's go, dale, like, you know, um, but it also in Sanskrit, it means strength, power, and my favorite word, energy, because that's what it all boils down to at the end of the day. If the energy feels right, I go for it, Montel. If it don't feel right, let's do this. So is Vaya a CBD line and a THC line and or a broad spectrum line or a, a mix of all of that? It's a great question. I would love to I would love it to be that and all and more. Right now, we're starting off with four different uh, flowers flavors um a sativa uh sativa hybrid an indica hybrid <laughs> and an indica concentrate that uh is called all the names uh are in spanish we're strictly keeping everything in spanish because we want to again i just want to honor heritage and the roots and what have you and like i said i'm just not talking about it. i'm going to be about it as well in every you know shape or fast any any place i can be on any level that's where i want to be consistent and authentic. So we got four flavors, sativa, sativa hybrid, indica hybrid, indica concentrate. That one's called the Luna Roca, which translates to moon rocks. Um, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I will say if you, if anybody is in, is interested in the Luna Rocas, I'm all for it. Just make sure y'all don't have anything to do for the next two, three, maybe four hours. Cause it's one of those. It's, it'll put Tommy Chong and Snoop on the ass. <laughs> is it, is it a moon rock where you've got it, the you know, a uh, little bit of leaf dipped in keef, dipped in oil, or is it just a flower? 
it's it's a flower but it's just highly concentrated i would i would say that um it's it's not quite like uh whatever the youngins are doing the dabs and what have you but it is it, it's it gets you there to that effect but it's the same thing it's it's flower and it's all everything we do too is organic no pesticides obviously or anything like that um i, I go up before the shutdown i went up frequently and made sure that that um uh, talking to Deji, making sure that what he's talking about and what we're talking about is consistent with what we're what we're presenting as well. So complete transparency, therefore clarity, um, and it's just it's 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 been a joy. A lot of a lot of challenges, a lot of learning. You know, uh, going from learning music theory and this chord transitions to this chord to transitioning to you know how that works from this in this business um but for me i feel like they're all challenges that are worth it and at the end of the day for me it's about uh sustainability so that we can uh really uplift and and highlight a community that i feel like deserves to be a part of this of this green rush um and all the all of the successes that could come with this and last but not least i'm also doing it for my son you know uh i'm doing it because i want to, sh to basically show him that, yo, we we can do whatever we want in this world, but it's what you do and how you do it. It's not only who defines you and your character, but it's also how, I'm gonna paraphrase, but it's like what Kobe said, that's 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 your legacy, you know, what you do and how you do it on this earth. That's, that's again, my Angela, that's how people are gonna remember you, by what you, by what, not what you said or did, but how you made them feel. So for me, I just wanna continue to honor that it, it just boils down to family for me too. At the end of the day, family's real tight for me. And if people were looking for the product, where is it mostly in the Bay Area? Is it down in LA? Where can they go to get it? Yeah, great question. So you can find all, it um, on Bia.Earth, uh, and that's the website. And then you can also all all the social media and everything like that, um, all the uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. It's all up. It's all up on Bia.Earth. Um, and it will be available, uh, we are aiming for December of this year, 2020. Um, and yes, it will be mostly in California in California dispensaries. However, uh, I feel reluctant to say this cause it just happened, but, <laughs> uh, it, but it's all good stuff. Uh, we have an opportunity to, um, partner with ease, which is the, uh, online, but it's like the Amazon, you know, of, of cannabis. You can go up on there and just shop online. They can deliver stuff to you. So we have an opportunity to, be featured on that platform. So, um, but again, it's all California, it's all in state. We wanna, the best example I can give you Montel is kind of like how I was starting off with my music career. We picked one venue, like a residency, you know, uh, like my dad did the Fillmore for many years. I picked, what did I pick? Uh, oh, we did the Little Fox over in, um, uh, in the South Bay. So we picked one spot. If you can consistently play that spot and then get more people and sell it out, then you take that to a bigger spot. Then you go to the then you go to the um, the cow palace if that that doesn't exist anymore. But you go to the cow palace, you take it to a bigger spot. Once you sell that out, you take it to the biggest spot. You know, Levi Stadium or Candlestick, which was one of my favorite venues up in the Bay. Once you sell that out, you take that stuff on the road and you just expand. You just expand. So for right now, I, I see where it can go, but I'm doing my absolute best, Montel, to focus and be present with where we are right now, so we can get to where we're trying to get to. Sure. And I mean, I think that right now, because of the way the laws are in every different state, it is a kind of a daunting task to try to take a brand and take a brand nationally because you end up having to formulate and produce your brand. And in each individual state, you've got to find yourself 
a partner in each state that has the same kind of belief that you do. And that can be tough to yep. do. It, it's challenging, but you know what, at the end of the day, if I feel like this, it's a challenge that's worth it, I'm going to investigate and I'm going to invest in it and I'm going to go for it. Um, if it doesn't feel right, I, I just do my best to uh, not take it personal and just move on. It's all business. So what's coming up next, sir? I mean, so, so keep us, keep me in a loop and we're almost out of time, but, but if you want people yes, to know what's, what's next in Salvador's world. Man, what's next for me is, like I said, to just continue this path of making a, a an impact in the cannabis world, especially in the communities that are being affected by cannabis in terms of not getting their fair share and what have you. I want to be, uh, I don't want to say I want to lead the charge, but I want to be another voice to help motivate and move that, this movement, so that we continue to get to where we're trying to get to, which is fairness uh, and equality. So I'm going to continue to do that. Um, like I said, i uh, got a solo project that I'm working on, um, maybe even possibly a remix project of some music and an artist you guys may know and love and all that stuff. Um, I'm also doing uh, a few scoring projects. Uh, in fact, I just got, I got the opportunity to do a score uh, for an awesome movie uh, called Pink Opaque, starring um, Elijah Booth, who's, uh, I think, in Legion. Um, I got hooked up to that through my homie, Daniel Chaffin, who played the antagonist in the movie and then got bumped up to associate producer. Him and I, we went to CalArts together. In fact, he was one of the first dudes that I met there when I didn't know anybody. And sweetest dude, like literally there's people that say, oh, this guy's a sweet person. No, no, no. My dude, Daniel, is literally the sweetest person in the world. So seeing him play the antagonist in this movie was mind blowing for me because this dude is like the sweetest guy in the world, literally. Um, but he hit me up one day, said, God said that God, God in his dreams came to him and mentioned my name and he reached out to me. Next thing we know, we're working together and now this movie is, is uh, making an impact in the Pan-African film. Long Beach, San Diego, it's coming up, man. So I'm just, I'm just grateful to be aligning myself with amazing projects with authenticity, integrity, consistency, and just really just just doing things that are bigger than the project itself it's it's really hard to explain it any better than that for me it's just i know when i want to involve myself in things that are bigger than just me or the project even it's 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 a ripple effect it affects us all in a positive way so we can all just do that much better and i'm just grateful to be a part of it well thank you sir and i'm so grateful that you will be a part of let's be blunt with montel today and know that you have a home here anytime you have anything you want to talk about you can definitely come back we'd love to have you want to talk a little bit more about Baya next time when you think what's your next level come on back share with us so we can let people know what you're doing and what you're into and you know my friend i i wish you the best um do a shout out to your father when you hear him or you see him and uh let him know i'll never forget that moment that we had and we shared and uh, take care of yourself, stay well, stay safe, take care of that family, love that family, and let's see you on the other side, my friend, okay? Sounds great, Montel. Likewise to you, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And you've been listening to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thank you.